we're going to uh, have a short report here. Uh, a while back, uh, we had a missions conference thing here, Perspectives it was called, and um, Daniel and Rachel were involved in that, and God called them to an incredibly unique ministry that they are involved in right now. And so they're going to give up and talk a little bit. They're going to give up. They're going to come up. They're going to talk a little bit about it and, and about what God has been doing. So, guys? So yeah, it was about one year ago, it was August when we kind of set sail on the journey of focusing mostly on the tiny homes, shows a way to meet people, because that's a very big movement right now, and so it's kind of hard. This is, I'm used to introducing people through the van, but you already know us as missionaries, that's what we are on the road. And when we're at the festivals, we're getting to tell people that this lifestyle of being on the road may be appealing, but it's not going to last forever for you. The, the appeal of being on the road, you can only see so many sights. You can only see so many things that's going to bring you joy. You see one mount, you see them all, basically, after a scenario. So we tell them that we're not on the road to see those things. Many times we'll go to places and states, and we don't even see anything. We may see a restaurant if that's where they really want to go out to eat. But the most of the time, we're just there to be with a, with a people group we go to see. So we, we'll, we tell them people, not places, because that's what matters, the people that we get to meet. So we're just going to give you a brief uh, cap of with three of our groups of people we've got to hang out with. One of the more recent ones... Um, and also, we're going to leave the names out to just, since it is on social media, we just, we don't want everybody to know that's what we're out for. We want people to get to know us as individuals versus the assumption of your project, you know, because they're not projects, they're people at the end of the day. So anytime we meet people, we want them to know that we're there for them and not to, I don't know the best way to phrase it, she's my translator, but we just want people to know we love them and they're not a project. This last group of people, we've got to go see her twice. I met her in Atlanta when Rachel was actually in Tennessee doing some training for her job. And it was kind of a unique opportunity. The, the mom is building a, a bus to do therapy to go around to show people how to heal from uh, just military wounds and stuff. And so she's got a good mindset, but she is not a Christian herself. And so it's kind of interesting. She's wanting to be on the road for love as well, but that love is only for this planet. And so we're getting to share with her more eternal love. And we've, you know, first time I went out to her, we went out to her house. It was a very um, unique experience because being a female in the military, she had been talked down to a lot because of males. So I had to go in there with extra respect, extra just kindness and, you know, submit myself under her while we was working on her home. And it was very awesome to see from her coming from an atheist uh, or agnostic background who's seeing us uh, into her home to the final days of she's even posting about, hey, these couple came out of their faith and love for me. You know, she didn't convert, but she she saw that the love was important enough to be there for her. And I'm going to let Rachel give a little better details on that. Yeah. So first of all, I realize some of you may not know what, like how we're traveling around. So we actually, yeah, we, uh, we downsized and we now, um, fully live in a 77 square foot converted Sprinter van. And that was definitely a challenge to adjust to. So for anyone who's wondering, was it hard? Yes. Yes, it was two months before I could really cook. I mean, I was so stressed out in that tiny space. Um, but we did make the adjustment because we wanted to go into these communities and show that we can find our joy without having much um, on earth. And so we sold pretty much everything or gave away everything. We once owned a three-bedroom home, had multiple cars. Now we are down to a Sprinter van. Um, and that allows us to go into places and communities um, and really just give without having to take anything because we have our housing, we can cook for ourselves, we're self-supported. Um, so we're not there to receive anything, we're just there to give. And um, so going to this, this veteran uh, lady who was working on her, her bus to do art therapy, 
Um, she was very resistant to, to the gospel. She definitely has had bad experiences with the church. And so we really came in there and said, hey, we're just here to help you build your bus. You know, let's just serve you and help you. And throughout the week, one thing that was amazing was getting to spend some time with her daughter. She was picking out baby names for us. We're not having a baby, by the way, but young children, I guess, this is what they do for fun. And she kept picking out names that had something to do with God. And she said, you're going to like this name. It means gift of God. This one means love of God. This one means something of God. And I said, wow, you must really think God is important to us. And she said, I can tell he's the most important thing in your life. And that was really cool to hear that from a child. And we hadn't been evangelizing to her. We were just living our life. I was teaching her guitar, and I only knew worship songs. We left on Sunday morning to go to church. And when we left, something that was amazing was she looked at me and said, when I become an adult, I think I'm going to go to church. And that was incredible to see from her, you know, kind of being raised that the church is bad and judgmental and they hate people. Um, to saying, you know, I will go give it a try. Maybe it's not all bad. You guys care about us enough to come. So that was a huge win. Um, we've also gotten to do a lot in the tiny home community. When we go to these different shows, um, we're really trying to meet people, yes, to get other, I don't want to say projects, but other um, areas that we can help with. And one of our favorite interactions has actually been with a Buddhist couple. And they live in a school bus and travel around. And um, we've had meals with them. We've just lived life with them, um, parked side by side in our two little homes. It's very interesting. It's like a little neighborhood, and then, then we go our separate ways. And during a couple of meals, they've actually asked us to pray for them. They've said, you know, I, I don't know what I believe about your God. They said, but I, I'd really like for you to pray with us and for us. And so before every meal now, um, they actually asked us to pray. So that was really cool. And they've asked us a lot about our faith and why we carry so many Bibles around, because we always want to be ready to give one out if the opportunity arises. Yeah, so with that couple, Rachel's got to have even uh, basic Bible studies with the, the lady, and so that was cool for her to get to do that. Me and the guy, we haven't made it to the point of Bible studies, but we have got to have some theological, you know, how creations, stuff like that, just to kind of shake up his world of, and his beliefs, and so we're making progress with him, and it's been really neat to get to see them, And but another project is when we got to go travel to we thought we was going to do one thing. We thought we were just going to go help out do some house renovations. But once we arrived, we saw it was more of a home project than it was just a bedroom project. They brought us there just to help them get the kids' rooms clean. And when we got there, we saw kind of like the TV show, the quarters where there'll be stuff piled on the floor. That was what we walked into. And so it was very humbling for them to allow us to just come into their house and then give us permission to start cleaning up and helping them with things because it's so easy to just develop more and more stuff to the point where it's too much to process. So they gave us the trust to be there and to help them go through the stuff. And what was kind of unique about that experience, we wouldn't have been able to do that if we didn't have a home on wheels because it was in a town that was not a hotel like an hour, hour and a half away, you'd have to stay at. And so we had meals in the van. That's one thing. The, the kid would con kids would constantly run in the van, find a snack, and run out. Sometimes they'd run in there, find a candy jar, get it, and take it. So it was just cool that that became the safe place while we was there. So it led to us having good talks about God with them. And they are of Catholic. And so it was kind of cool to get to talk to the kids about what we believe and then let them talk about what they believe. And same thing with the parents. We just talked back and forth on things. And, you know, just so it was cool to have that opportunity to be the safe place while we was there. And then lastly, uh, just the ways that we've been able to, um, I guess, reach out in a more widespread way. Um, the tiny home community, as you, as we said, is a pretty growing community. Um, and so we actually, the last time, 
Tiny Home Show we were at, we actually covered our van in Compassion Kids. It was Compassion Sunday, you guys may know, a couple weeks ago. And it's something we're passionate about. We sponsor a couple girls in Columbia. So we plastered our entire outside of our van with just Compassion packets. And um, it definitely generated a lot of conversation of why we care so much about these kids. And um, nobody actually took a packet, but, um, but they asked a lot of questions. And, and so we hope that that just shows them, that, hey, we are here. We are doing this, um, not for ourselves. Also, we have gotten to write a chapter in a book about tiny living. But what was really cool is we talked to the author that we can't tell our story without telling it about God, because that's the whole reason that we downsize and that we're simplifying and that we're traveling. And so she included that in the book that's going to be coming out, that um, stuff can't make you happy, but not having stuff also can't make you happy. And God is really the only place that can come from. And so that's been really cool to get to have that in writing. And we don't know where that's going to go. So that's exciting. Um, we also have the op- had the opportunities of YouTube tours of our, of our van, because that's a thing, um, not because we want to be YouTube stars. But we said the same thing to the person. We said, hey, we can't show you our home without showing you the reason that we're on the road. And so actually in the background of the entire video is uh, me playing a worship song. And he shows our mat that talks about it's a Bible verse of going and being a light to the world. And he clearly puts it in there. And the cool thing is he's not even a Christian. He's actually very anti-Christian, but he said, hey, I respect you guys enough. If I'm going to tell your story, I'll tell it the way you want me to. So that's really exciting just to see how far maybe it might touch lives that we don't even get to meet. We're excited about that. Um, All right, so in closing, because you would probably like to get to your sermon. Um, So in closing, there are a couple ways that we would really love prayer um, as we're out there. I mean, you can imagine it gets not to say lonely, but I mean, we are, we are in the thick of it with, with people that really don't want to go to church, and we make a point to go to church, but it's hit or miss. You know, we're just visiting random churches as we go into random cities. So community, a Christian community, would definitely be something we, we always love getting to experience um, in the rare times we see it on the road. Also, um, wisdom in discerning which opportunities to pursue. There's a lot of need in the world. There's a lot of need in America. And we really try to pray through which projects we will go invest our time in. But it's definitely hard to know. And we can't know without God. After church, we'll pull the van over here off to the side a little bit. So if any of y'all want to see it or just ask us any more questions in detail, we'll be over there or set up. And that way you can see, see what our home is like. It's probably about a quarter the size of this stage, but yet it's still big enough. Like with that YouTube video, it was cool with, uh, we, he started out showing that we was entertaining. We had, I think at that night, seven people inside the van for supper. And he was able to capture that on the video. That was, that's important to us as, as we go on the road. So we'll be over there. We'll have a, um, a notepad so you can write your email. So if you want to get newsletter updates and stuff. And I do want to do a plug for the welcome committee because since we do travel around, we get to act like first time guests at churches. And the ones that do have the welcome committee set up, it's really cool that you get you know introduced like five times before you find a seat. Oh, they'll walk you to the seat. So that is a huge thing you now because when we go to the places that don't have it, you can ghost in and ghost out and never say anything. It's having that helps make sure that doesn't accidentally happen. You know, but at the same time everybody's on the welcome committee but being designated to it is really good too thanks guys all right we are uh going to talk about something part of part of what got me thinking about this is uh, is that my vacation i came back from vacation last week and uh and i know this can be one of those times where we're gonna we're gonna look at something very familiar we're gonna look at psalm 23 we're only going to talk about the first two verses of psalm 23 
And so it's kind of a reminder of things that we already know. And, you know, I sometimes you think, oh, okay, well, Bob's probably going to go into the Hebrew or something. And really, no, I'm not. Actually, the English does a great job here. And we're just going to look at it. And, and uh, one of the things, I saw this a while back. There, there's, a, there's a famous, he's a pretty famous guy. His name is Meyer Friedman. Um, he was a cardiologist. And, and he, um, especially in the 50s and 60s and 70s, he, he did some breakthrough stuff in cardiology, but also in people in, and, and, and how we know now how people and the way they are affects uh, heart conditions. And one of the things he said that woke him up to this very interestingly was he had to have his office furniture reupholstered one time. And the guy who was reupholstering it, he said to him, he says, did you notice how your furniture wears? And he said, no, what do you mean? He says, well, I do chairs all the time. And the whole seat wears, and the back wears, and the armrests wear. He says, yours don't do it that way. Only the front edge of the seat is worn, and only the grip where the hands go is worn on your office furniture. And he said, he, he remembers saying, well, why do you think that is? He says, do you think people are comfortable in your office? You're a cardiologist for crying out loud. You know, and so what happened was he realized something. People are there. They're anxious. They're afraid. They're upset. They would like to get out of there as soon as possible. They don't want to be there. And having been in that situation in a cardiologist's office, that's the way I was. He said, come on, sit down, make yourself comfortable. I'm like, what? <laughs> Dude, I just saw you in the hospital yesterday, and you had a very concerned look on your face when you looked at me. So being comfortable is not where I'm at right now. And I sat on the edge of the chair and I gripped that thing. And so he came up with this concept that was very new back in the 50s of this, um, this idea that some people have this kind of a driven personality. They're, very, they're, they're anxious, they're easily irritated, they get sucked into a fast, but their life goes fast. And he said, those kinds of people, that type A type of a person, they have a higher risk because that's how they are. And he came up with that. And I was thinking about this while I was on vacation. And I, I was actually, I was thinking about the, the 23rd Psalm and how the 23rd Psalm goes absolutely against that. And, and, and what a rush we all tend to live in. Because I was sitting on the beach, it was a beautiful day, and I was sitting on the beach doing my best imitation of a beached whale. And, and, um, and I was sitting there and I was just looking out at the water. And one of my kids said, Dad, we're going to go, you want to come? I was like, no, I I'm just going to sit here. And for a second, I thought, you know, I'm going to be mindful. I'm just going to sit here and look at something that I have seen all my life and see what I see, maybe differently. And so I just started watching the waves and how the waves were breaking and how sometimes that changed. And, and, and uh, as I was a kid, I, I grew up a, a lot in Florida, and so I, I, I spent a lot of time on the beach and did a lot of time doing that kind of stuff. And so I kind of thought I knew about waves. But it was interesting to see. And then, you know, I was looking at the sky and looking at the clouds. And then, you know, some, some of those, I think they're brown pelicans, were flying by real low. And then one of them wheeled up back where they'd just come and suddenly plummeted into the ocean. And, and I started thinking, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful world. And these are all things I've seen before, but I'm just taking them for granted. And if I just slow down, if I just stop for a minute and look and watch, I'm seeing this incredible beauty that is affecting me strangely. And, and, 
And I thought about this with this thought of Meyer Friedman. We all tend to live our life on the edge of our seats. And in doing that, we miss out on so much. We don't have to go on vacation to get this stuff. But the the 23rd Psalm, I think, expresses this. It was expressed a long time ago. And and David wrote it. And you have it there on your sheet. And I would like for us to, let's do this. Let's read it together. All right? Now this is, you know, we're all used to the King James Version. One, it's one that's always done at funerals and that type of thing. This is not the King James Version. So just work with it. All right? Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, I was thinking about this, and I want us to look at this because, and there's a lot of ways. You know, I've heard a lot of sermons on the 23rd Psalm. People analyze what is a shepherd. People analyze about sheep and that type of thing, and, and, and we're going to do a little bit about that. But I think the key is when we say, the Lord is my shepherd, and Eric, you're going to have to, the, the, this iPad <laughs> died on me, so you're going to have to follow. The Lord is my shepherd, that first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, and when we look at that phrase, we have a choice. I can choose to live, I can choose to live as if I have no shepherd, if I'm the one in charge. I can choose to live that way. But that means every day, every moment, I go through life with this burden of being in charge, with the weight of my life, the weight of life on my shoulders. Life without a shepherd is life on the edge of the seat. That's what it is. I worry about the future. We can worry about the future, right? We can worry about our children. If we don't have any, we worry about that. We can worry about our job. If we don't have one, we worry about that. We can worry about a marriage, or if we don't have one, we worry about that. We can worry about our health, the health of people we love. We can worry about money. If we don't have enough money, we worry about that. And I worry, will I get what I want? Will things turn out the way I want them to turn out in my life? And here's the odd thing. You know, when we worry like that, here's the deal. Because how many of us have discovered that worry is a very constructive, life-giving way of dealing with the future? Right? None. None. David is saying here, there's another way to do life. There's another way to do life, and that is to live in the constant care and presence and protection of the good shepherd. Sheep don't just take care of themselves. There's a, there's a guy named Philip Keller, and uh, he wrote a book on the 23rd Psalm, and he was saying, sheep don't take care of themselves. They require more attention. They require more meticulous care than any type, other type of livestock. And as sheep, that's what we're being called, We've gone crazy. Life has gotten hectic. Um, years ago, I, w- I was uh, struggling. Kids were little, and I was overwhelmed and, and not doing a good job of managing my life. And I called up uh, a friend that I respected, 
And um, I just said, I got to talk to you. And he says, I got a little bit of time. Yeah, go ahead. And, and I said, uh, this is what's going on. This is what I'm struggling with. How can you help me? And he, he says, well, let me recommend you a book. The book is called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And he said, basically, he, he told me, he says, Bob, you've got to eliminate this hurry, this busyness in your life. You've got to carve out time for important things. And then he stopped. And I was, and I said, well, what else have you got? because I don't have a lot of time, and I need to get all the wisdom I can in this short amount of time. And he says, that's it. That's it. Eliminate hurry from your life. And I said, well, then this phone call's over, and I just, you know. Because hurry is, is this thing that we fall into so easily, but it is, it is a grave spiritual danger. Now, just so you know, there's a difference between being busy and being hurried. Being busy is just this outward condition, condition of your body, and, and what we have to realize for each one of us, we're all wired differently on how, we, how much busyness we can handle and how we handle busyness in our lives without being damaged by it. Because Jesus was often busy, you know, he had a lot of things to do, but he had it under control. He had it under control. Now, that's busyness. Being hurried is a disease of the soul. To be hurried means I'm so internally preoccupied with my worries and my agenda that I am unable to live in the presence of my Heavenly Father. I'm unable to follow my shepherd. I'm unable to fully be present with people, listen to people, love people, marvel at what God has done. And our problem is, especially when you're younger, you live with this illusion that someday things are going to settle down. Someday, somebody's going to come and solve this problem, and, and, and nobody is. Your boss isn't going to solve this problem. Your spouse isn't going to solve this problem. Your friends, your parents, your kids, your school, none of it. It's not going to solve it. And there are moments in our lives where God brings before us wonder and splendor, and we can ignore it because it's become commonplace to us. And we miss we miss what God is doing. We miss what God has done. We miss the wonder of living in this incredible world. God's mercies, he says, are new every morning. It's not an accident. We don't earn it. He gives it to us. And we see things. that We, we see God in them. When my children were born, it was incredible. I see my grandkids, it's incredible. When you look in the eyes of someone you love, when you remember maybe in the past a mom or a dad who believed in you, those are wonderful things God has brought into your life. And then sometimes we remember sin, we remember regret, we remember something where we've really done badly and we've messed up. And God says, that's why I brought you Jesus. Think about Jesus. He brought you to redeem that, to carry that weight away. God wants this to be the way we live our lives. And this is not something we do. This is not a self-help program. It's not just about human cleverness being able to slow ourselves down. We have to start following our shepherd. Our shepherd Jesus, in John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. We all have to have a shepherd, and Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I have goodness for you and your life. And he said, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And those were not just words. He did that. So, as we come to this, the Lord is my shepherd thing. 
I just want to say, if you've never asked Jesus to be the shepherd of your life, if you've never told him, hey, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need forgiveness. I need your grace. I need you as my savior because of what my life is. This is a great time to do it. You can do it sitting in your seat as you voice it to him. And I hope you will. Because that's the first start. The Lord is my shepherd. We've got to, we've got to find that shepherd. I looked up this guy this years ago, and I, I just looked him up again recently. His name is Warren Gill. He's a professor um, in Tennessee. Uh, he does at University of Tennessee some, and Middle Tennessee State some, and he does animal husbandry and agribusiness and that kind of stuff. But he talks a lot about sheep, and, some, and I found one of his papers that he wrote, and he said, sheep spend up to 10 hours a day grazing, and then most of their waking hours they spend chewing on the cud. They're an animal that chews the cud. Now, you know what the name for that is? The name for that is ruminate. That's the name for that. Sheep ruminate. Sheep do it recreationally, you know. They, they actually enjoy it. And he says this, the ruminating response requires that a sheep be comfortable and relaxed. They only ruminate when a good shepherd is doing his job. And then he says, in rumination, sheep have a pensive, kind of a sleepy expression. Kind of like people when they're listening to a sermon, that kind of a look of just, uh, yeah. And so this week, you know, I want you to think about that. God says, I want you to be someone who ruminates. And so you ruminate. What do you ruminate on? You can ruminate on your fears. You can ruminate on your worry. You can ruminate on your problem. You can bring that up and rethink it and go over it again. And that happens so much to us. It wants to dominate our mind. And he's saying, no. What do we do? We ruminate on God. We ruminate on Scripture. Let's just do that real quick. The Lord is my shepherd. Let's just take that. The Lord is my shepherd. First two words, the Lord. The Lord. What does that mean? That means there is a master of the universe. There is a creator of all things. There is a transcendent, holy God. The Lord is the Lord is. Okay, what does that mean? Okay, is means this is not an idea. This is not a philosophy. This isn't something abstract. Is means he's real. So David is saying there is a Lord and he is real. And he is my. All right, next word, my. See, now it gets personal. David is saying, let's make this personal now. There is this transcendent God. He is real. He exists, but he's mine. Now let's get it, bring it down to a personal level. He's mine. That involves relationship. And the fourth word, fifth word, the Lord is my shepherd. All right? A shepherd who does all he can to know his sheep, to care for his sheep, to love his sheep, to protect his sheep when they're in trouble, to lead them, to guide them. God wants to have that relationship with you. He wants to be the shepherd. And see, when I begin to ruminate on that, just those five words, the Lord is my shepherd, I begin to realize, God, you're there. You're there. You exist. You're real. You're personal. My. And you're my shepherd. And all that that means in being a shepherd. And when I ruminate on that, Instead of, I got a bill next week, or what is this person going to do, or how can I affect this situation? Things that aren't necessarily bad to think about, but to worry and obsess and to fear, then they consume me. And so in the middle of thinking about this bill that needs to be paid, and this person that, that maybe has hurt me, or I've hurt, or this situation that I can't figure out how to control, 
all the, I start to think, wait, just remember, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now it becomes personal. Now I have something to think over. Okay, so if the Lord is my shepherd, how does that affect my bill next week? How does that affect my, this person? How does that affect my relationship with my parents or my wife or my kids? If the Lord is my shepherd, how does that affect those things? You see, you can take five little words out of Scripture, and you can just build something huge on that that can change your life. For God so loved the world. Take that. Ruminate on it. Those types of things. The Lord is my shepherd. Then David goes on. The Lord is my shepherd. He says, I lack nothing. Now, the idea here is that the Lord is a good shepherd, and he's caring for me. He's providing for me. And what it's really telling us is that my life is not a collection of my appetites. That's not the sum total of my life. All the things that I would like to have, all the things I want. My appetites is not who I am. I don't have to have a life driven by unsatisfied desire. Warren Gill says, basically, a sheep is a big appetite walking around on four legs. And all it wants to do is satisfy that appetite. And the way they do that is generally by following the other sheep in front of them. Because that's what sheep do. They're a pack animal. They just follow the ones who are in the front. And the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, 6 puts it this way. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us, all, of us all. Now, the idea here is not necessarily that we're going in 50 million directions. The point is we're going in the wrong direction. We're not going where the shepherd wants us to go. And sheep are followers. That's the way they do it. And we tend to follow what we see other people. If we see things that we think are successful with other people, we tend to follow it. And that's not necessarily wrong, but we have to understand that's not where satisfaction comes from. That's not where happiness comes from. That's not what joy comes from because sheep are pretty much passive following animals. And that's the problem because if one sheep, if the one in front walks into trouble, the rest just follow. If one walks off a cliff, sometimes almost the whole flock will end up walking off the cliff because they just go, well, it's good enough for him. I guess it's okay for me. And they just, they just go. You know, it's like, hmm, Sally just went over the edge and she never came back. I think I'll pause and reflect on whether I impulsively... They don't do that. They just follow. All we like sheep have gone astray. And this is what makes it worse. We live in a world where some of the smartest people alive spend their waking moments figuring out how to convince you that you are not content. And that contentment is just one acquisition away the flock says, you'll be happy if you get a bigger house, a newer car, a higher income, better clothes, whiter teeth, fresher breath, sleeker body, whatever it is. The content of what is promoted in our culture just on the body alone is staggering. It's staggering. Sometimes actually watch a few commercials and see how that, that's all that's going on. They're basically telling you if you could be bigger in the northern hemisphere and thinner in the southern hemisphere, you'll be happy. That's it. And it's a treadmill that we can get on that will kill us. 
So he says, he says, there's another way. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. This is the way of gratitude. This is the way of thankfulness. I will find satisfaction in the shepherd's presence even more than the shepherd's gifts. I told you a while back, some, a number of you weren't here, but I, I went to Portugal. My two brothers were missionaries there, and, and, and there was a period of time years ago when uh, immigrants from Africa just overwhelmed, if they had a, from Angola and Mozambique, they overwhelmed Portugal. The, 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 the nation grew um, by 10% in like five years. Just overwhelmed their social service system, and um, so at my brother's church there was a, a Angolan man who asked us to dinner, and so we went, and it just was a humongous warehouse, and there were hundreds of people, hundreds of families, just living in this warehouse with just tarps between them. They just pulled up tarps, said, "That's your house, this little area there," and. And everyone had to cook outside, and they, they cooked a meal for us outside, and then we came back into their little tarp area, their little house, and we ate dinner with them. And I noticed, you know, they had a little mat for, for the, the, the husband and the wife, and they had a little mat for their little daughter. And next to the mat was two bags, and one was his bag, and one was her bag, and that was all they had in the world. That was their, that's what they lived out of. And I thought, man... I spend so much of my life wanting more bags. And, and I, um, I, he, I played soccer while I was there with him and um, a number of people. He had a little team of Angolans and, some, and, and they asked me to play with them. And, and, uh, and I noticed s- some of them played barefoot and some of them just had little tennis shoes. And, and, and Zico, this friend of ours, he, for much of the time he played barefoot and I asked my brother, what could I get him? What could I get him to tell him? And see, my brother said, get him a pair of cleats, man. Are you blind? And, and I bought him a pair of cleats, soccer cleats. And, and years later, I asked my brother, I said, does Zico still have those cleats? And he said, oh, yeah. They're in his bag. They're in his bag. And I thought, man, I have so much. But who's more wealthy? The person who has many bags and always wants more? Or the person who has one bag and is grateful and satisfied. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I like this language. He makes me. The shepherd makes me because sheep tend to not want to do what's best for themselves. They'd rather be in control. Isn't that us with God? I want to be in control, God. I want to tell you. My prayer life so many times is me telling God what he needs to get on the job. and Get, get off his stuff and do because this is so important. What are you not, why are you not doing this? Because I want to be in control. One time, my wife and I were having um, peanut butter crackers, peanut butter and crackers. And my father uh, was somewhat anal about things. And um, he taught me when I was a kid, he said, this is, you know, these great teaching times, Robert, you get the cracker with the salt up and you put the peanut butter on the salt. Then you take the next one and with the salt, non-salted side, you stick it on the peanut butter. So one side salted, one side's not salted. That's because if you put the salted side in first, you've, you've, you've reversed the order that you're supposed to taste things in a peanut butter cracker. Put the side with no salt first and then the salt kicks in after a little bit and it becomes delicious. Now, my dad taught me that. My dad was a scientist. He taught me that. I believe him. He knows about that kind of stuff, right? And so I'm watching my wife 
she's putting it on wrong. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, she's probably been doing this all her life. She wasn't well taught. And, um, and if she can live with it, I mean, she's missing, but if she can live with it, that's okay. But then it hit me, this woman has kids, and these are my kids. And she's going to teach these kids. And you can't, I, I can't have my kids eating peanut butter crackers wrong. She'd be leading them down this incorrect path of peanut butter crackering. And that's serious because lives are at stake, right? And so I tried to correct her mistake of how you put peanut butter on a cracker. Did not go well. Not a great moment in our marriage. And I had to realize that she was going to go to her grave putting peanut butter on the wrong side of the cracker. And as hard as it is for me to watch it, I had to learn to accept it because I can't control her. We want to control people. We want to get them to, and this is the illusion we live with. And here, David is going exactly against that illusion. The Lord is my shepherd. You are not in control. I want to control the people in my life. I want to control the relationships in my life. I want to control my job. I want to control my money. I want to control my health. I want to control the circumstances that I find myself. And, and, and every so often, inevitably, sooner or later, I get the news that I'm not in control And David is saying, there's another way. Follow the shepherd. Now, there's a role for me to play in this life, and I bring my mind, and I bring my gifts, and I bring my will to the table as God helps me as best I can. But, but I'm, not, I'm not supposed to live controlling outcomes. That's not my job. You're not meant to carry that weight on your shoulders. You can't control another person. You can't control your circumstances. So we have to give them to him. See, what gives the sheep assurance is to rest in the presence of the shepherd. And I'll tell you, the good shepherd is present and is your shepherd wherever you are right now. And wherever you are right now, your soul can be restored and refreshed no matter what the situation. So if you're in a classroom with tremendous stress or you're in an office where people are driving you crazy or you're in a house where there's too much conflict and noise, or you're in a hospital room where your health is gone. It can still be a green pasture because that's where the shepherd is. He's in the soul-restoring business. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and then he leads me beside quiet waters. Now, this is significant because rushing water is dangerous to sheep. You know, if you have a fast-moving stream or river, the problem with sheep is if they haven't been sheared and they start to drink, the wool absorbs water, they get heavy, and then they can get dragged away. They can fall in. They can get stuck in the mud. But if it's fast-moving water, oftentimes they can fall into it, and then they're gone because they don't, they don't swim well, especially, I mean, you know, if you've ever tried swimming in winter clothes... They just start pulling you down. And that's the way it is for these sheep. And so they look for, the shepherd looks for quiet water, still water, where the sheeps are, sheeps, where the sheep are safe. Our lives, God says, I want to quiet it. I want to make it still. I don't want the, dr the noise to drown out what I'm telling you. When our kids were little, one time Bev was out with some other people, and I told, we had four kids at the time, and I told them we're going to go out to dinner. 
And they were so excited. And I was, I was kind of excited too. I had this naive optimism, you know, that people would look and see me come and go, look at that great dad. He's got four little kids. He's taking them out to eat. Man, perfect Christian family. So we're sitting. There's a place, they're gone now. It's called Po Folks. You have to be old to remember Po Folks, but it was for Po Folks. And um, one of my kids spilled their drink on one of the other kids. And so then there was some anger, and then there was crying, right? And so being this perfect Christian dad, I went right to the bribery stage. I told them, if you stop crying, I will give everybody ice cream after dinner. We'll go out for ice cream after dinner. But it didn't work. They kept crying. Um, And my oldest son, Derek, he wasn't crying. He was mad because they were messing up the meal. And then he realized they're going to mess up dessert too. So then you have the oldest going, shut up, shut up, I swear, shut up, whispering and hissing to them under his breath while I'm going, look, look, we'll clean this up. I'm really sorry, miss. You know, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm getting tense and I'm getting nervous and I'm starting to freak out a little bit. And um, so then, you know, bribery stage doesn't work. Parents, what do we do next? We threaten, right? Oh, you're going to cry. I'm going to give you something to cry about right now, girl. Don't make me. You know, I'm going to drag you out of here by you. You know, that kind of thing, which doesn't help, right? They just, oh, daddy's going to go crazy on us. Our perfect Christian dad has lost it. You know, heaven help the home. So then, um, I believe it was Reagan. I pulled Reagan. She was little, and I I said, um, sweetheart, I I bet, because she was one of the main criers, I bet, I bet you wish you had your doll right now, your little doll. And I don't remember, she, uh, I'm trying to remember age, she had this uh, American doll, doll named Addie, we ended up having an Addie, but not this, uh, uh, and, and this little Addie doll, she had this little African-American Addie doll she loved, and, and I just remember kind of saying, I bet you wish you could have Addie right now. <laughs> I said, well, if you ever want to see Addie alive again, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> So, not a great moment in my fathering history, right? Um, and I, I, what did I want? I just wanted still waters and green pastures. And I'm, and I'm trying to control, and, and, and I'm feeling like my reputation somehow is online. There's nobody there that knows me, but I was worried about those kind of things. And I'm missing, I'm, I'm just missing all these times, you know, you get old, you think about these things. I'd love to go back and spend a day with my kids back when they were little. They could cry all they want. I'd love it. I miss it. It went too fast. Oh, boy. This is, this, you know, I know. Everybody's like, oh, gosh, we've heard this so many times. But it's true because I don't want to miss the moments. And I think about that, you know, we were on vacation. My whole family was there. There's 14 of us crammed into this house and it was crazy and it was fun. And, and, and I remember thinking, I want to hold on to these. I don't want to miss them because God brings these moments and they're special. And I don't want to overlook them by getting irritated or getting upset or worrying about things. And sometimes they're goofy little things God brings. Sometimes they're strange. And sometimes they're just beyond our own ability where we see God work. But it's him saying, I'm present with you. I'm the good shepherd. 
Warren Gill, the, the, the guy that works in that, he says, people always ask me, are sheep, sheep dumb? And he says, you know, they're not really. It just depends on how you define intelligence. He said, but basically a sheep has precisely the cr correct amount of intelligence it needs to function as a sheep. That's us. We have precisely the correct amount of intelligence to function as a sheep to the good shepherd. And then he added, I thought this was interesting, one should not own an animal that is smarter than oneself. Something for cat owners to think about, I'll say that. <laughs> and Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and he knows about shepherding. He calls the sheep calmly. He brings good into their lives. I'm the good shepherd. He's not anxious. He's not irritable. When those voices get loud and are clamoring in my head, that's not Jesus. In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, sheep herding in Israel in those days, and even to this day, Bedouin sheep herders, it's different from how people herd sheep in our day. In those days, they led the sheep. The shepherd walked in front of the sheep. It still happens today. We have a picture, I think, uh, of a of a shepherd out in front of his sheep. Oh, there it is, right? And they would lead the sheep. They didn't stand behind them. And the way they would lead them is oftentimes, and this makes sense when you think about it, they sing to them. I mean, you've got nothing else to do, right? So they start singing to them. And, and they give their sheep names. And that's why David wrote so many. He sang all the time to his sheep. And they follow the voice of their shepherd. They hear it. They hear that voice, right? And they, so they follow the voice of their shepherd. And then many times, now shepherding is lonely business, so oftentimes shepherds would meet together and, and out and still, if you go to Israel, out in, you'll find sheep pens, some you know, old and fallen apart and some recently rebuilt. We got a picture of one here, there. That's a sheep pen. It would be exactly like it was 2,000 years ago. When Jesus is talking, they would know exactly what he's talking about. You see, there's an opening, and the sheep would go through the opening. And the shepherds, and oftentimes there'd be a little house or a little lean-to or something, and the shepherds would hang out there and tell stories and sing songs. And then when it became nighttime, you don't want your sheep walking off, so one shepherd would sleep in the doorway. He would become the door. They would say, whose turn is it to be the door? You see what Jesus was talking about when he said, I'm the door? That's what he's talking about. And it's a door of protection. The shepherd would sleep there so no sheep would wander out, but also he's on guard. Now in the morning, here's the deal. Maybe you got four shepherds. You got four flocks. No one branded in those days. So how do you know? Well, what would happen? One shepherd would go outside the door and he would start singing names. And throughout, you'd see a sheep go, Hey, that's my guy, right? And off you go. It'd be, you know, on Dancer, on Blixen, on Vixen, on Twitter, I don't know, whatever. He'd sing those things like, like, you know, he would just start singing the names and the sheep would go, I know his voice. I hear that flipping voice every day. And they would go. And the other sheep would go, I'm not my guy. Mm, you know, bad man. They'd go off in the corner. <laughs> Why did I do that? Mm. 
When I was in grad school, one of the things, we took an advertising course. They said sometimes the advertisers purposely are obnoxious so that people actually will remember because op, you remember obnoxious things. So sometimes I do really bad jokes just to keep you on point. You're welcome. So he's, he, each one calls him out. The sheep, they know him. They know him by name. They know his voice. He sings to them. He sings to them. And we know what kind of songs they sing to him. David wrote a whole bunch of them. So, and, and he wrote psalms to be sung. Psalms like, the Lord is my shepherd. And he would sing that to his sheep. And they would know his name. And so in John 10, 14 to 15, we see, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. And that's what he did for you. And that's why we need to make him our good shepherd. We need to follow him. And so I would encourage you this week, instead of worrying about stuff, ruminate. Chew the cud, thinking of your shepherd. Talk to him. Maybe say, God, help me this week by your grace. Instead of wallowing in discontent, I want to be grateful this week. God, help me to do that. I can't do it on my own. Help me this week instead of trying to control everything. Help me to surrender to you. Help me this week with all the noise and the chaos that is around me. Help me to listen to you. And then you can stop living on the edge of your seat, gripping the, the, the handles there, the armrests. And I encourage you, because God is saying, my son, my daughter, let me shepherd you. Let me shepherd you. Yield to me. I will lead you to still, still waters. I will lead you to green pastures. I will keep you safe. I will sing over you. You know, in the Old Testament, it talks about one point about how God sings over us with love. He sings over us. He loves us that much. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Two little verses, and yet we see so much of your great love for us and the goodness that you have for us. Help us, Lord, to listen to our shepherd. Help us to follow him because where he leads is goodness because he's the faithful and good shepherd. And Lord, as we think about these things, as we ruminate on these things, they become a part of our life and we change, even as we've talked about, we change from the inside out. God, we crave that. We give this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen.